Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, guys. I want to welcome all of you. I'm still in a barrel up here, guys. Um, Today's sermon is directed primarily towards believers. I'm just going to go ahead and pull that one out right now. So if we have someone here this morning that's not quite there yet, that maybe is not sure if they're at that point to where they want to believe, I'm going to give you a little bit of a bye week this week. However, if you want to see how Christians are supposed to act and supposed to love the people that they come into contact with, and the responsibility that we have as believers to love others, then maybe this is a talk for you after all. Maybe you can arm yourself with what the Word of God says and help keep us in, in check when, if, when we act uh, a little out of character in public. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But I will say that this, that today's topic this morning is love. Love is a valid test of our Christian faith and of the reality of our spiritual life. It is impossible to not love, to be unloving, to say that you're a believer in Messiah. It's absolutely impossible to say that I'm unloving, and then in the next sentence to say, I love God with all of my heart, because God is not in your heart. Let's turn to the book of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15 And if you have a family member or a spouse standing or sitting beside you, they can turn to the book of 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read in two different places this morning. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. How many of you are there? Outstanding. Well, this morning, as is my custom, let's stand for the reading of the Word as we worship Him with, with the reading of His Holy Word. John chapter 15, one more time. Verses 9 through 11. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So in the book of 1 John chapter 4, Verses 7 through 14. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for the love that you've loved us with. Father, you loved us first. You loved us from the beginning. And now that 
the love, your love, Father, has been shed abroad in our hearts. Now we go out and we love everyone that we meet. We make it a purpose in our heart. We purpose to love others, Father. Speak to us this morning as we consider your word, Father. Change us from, from glory to glory. Show us, Father, the need to love those, even those who may be our enemies. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory and all of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I had a difficult act to follow. Very difficult. Many years ago, pastor asked me to start doing the offering at this church, much like Pastor Peter did, but certainly not half as smooth and eloquent as he is, because, wow, he's got the gift of gab. Somebody say amen. Wow, he is... He is good like that, I'll, I'll say that. So I'm told that I'm going to start doing the offering, and I guess you can kind of read into that you're supposed to talk about giving and tithing when you're doing the offering, but that's not what I saw. When I first started, Rusty would get up here and talk about faith and spiritual authority and was really good at it. I can remember one Sunday morning, Rusty, I was sitting right back there thinking, this guy is so good. I mean, it's listening to you just on and on and on, and I'm not playing you up. Hear me now. I, I love you. This is my brother. I know this is Rusty Golden. <laughs> Y'all all talk to him after church. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, this guy is so good. How am I going to get up here and do this? And then Peter gets up here. There's no telling where he's going to be. He's all over the place. And I'm thinking, all right, Rusty gets up here to do the faith minute. It's about 10 minutes, okay. And then P Peter gets up here. He's going to do this faith minute. He goes for 20, 25, 30 minutes, preaches on Psalm chapter 1. I still remember that. 1 Samuel 17. He's done the story of David and Goliath a couple times up here for an offering. The three-chapter version, not just the single-chapter version. I get up here not knowing what to do, no rhyme or reason to any of it that I see. And I talk about love. And it's, it's funny with going back, I can see it like it was yesterday. I take my youngest daughter, Rachel, to Cracker Barrel. Some of you have hold, heard this story. She's about this tall. She's a little bitty thing. And I take her out one morning, and we're sitting there, and she's not eating. And when you're those younger parents and you don't have a lot of money anyway, you're thinking if you're not going to eat food I wouldn't have bought that food okay but I, I didn't say that and I'm sitting there with Rachel and I ask her well, well Rachel are you going to eat your food she says no I'm not really hungry I just want to be with you and those words from all those years ago still choke me up when I I hear those words because they, they're the words it's it's the words that she didn't say that she said the loudest I love you. And when you love someone, you want to be with that person. And it's the easiest thing to do because naturally, when we love someone, we want to praise that someone. So when we love God, it's easy to praise God. When we love someone, it's easy to praise that person. It, that, that person becomes the very one that we have to be with the most. We, we would have it no other way that we want to be with that person. And now she takes me out and I'll let her pay. <laughs> but I, I eat my food. <laughs> the, 
these moments are ordained and they exist because of God. He makes it possible to love. You know, like I said last week, He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now please allow me to make a Captain Obvious statement here. Without Rachel, that moment never would have occurred. Now, now where am I going with that? Part of the definition of love involves the existence of another personal being. I've heard it put this way. Love involves two personal beings. True love delights in the other person. The other being. So when I say that I love you, my focus is not on me loving me. And guys, we're good at that. We, we can be self-centered and, and all into our stuff all the time and overlook those that are most important to us. And guys, I'm not going to ask you to say amen, but nod your head. You know it's halfway true, at least. But it's about delighting in the other person because if we love them, we want to praise them and to do for them. There's no place that I'd rather be. Just, I want to be with you. Love involves two personal beings. I, I heard a, uh, a guy say this not long ago. It was kind of funny. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to read the quote in a second. But let's imagine us guys, you know, we, we go out and we save the world every day. Every day we get up in the morning, we go out and we go to save the world. Most of the times we don't wear our cape because that's just showing off. We just fly out and we do the things that we do and we, we save the world. We get up early in the morning we get ready, we go take a shower, we do our hair, we do all the stuff that guys do, just this much of what you, you ladies do. But it would be sad if we got up and we did all of that and we looked into the mirror and said, I'm in love. We look at ourselves and say, I'm in love. That it would be absolutely sad because it involves nobody but us. There has to be someone else. It would be just so sad just to be so consumed with ourselves. But you know, as silly as that sounds, how often is that the very thing that we do? We get so consumed in who we are and what we do and how we do that our focus is not on others and certainly not even on God because we're too busy for God, it seems like. When all along, God is right there and those that are most precious and important to us are right there listening to us, wanting that piece of us that belongs to them. So let me give you a little bit of an example. A man meets his future spouse. And that hormone that usually lasts about six months, I'm told, rages and he must marry his Proverbs 31 woman. This is the woman. There is no one like this woman. She's the only one that I'll have. So he marries her and then six months later that hormone is gone. They're no longer living on the mountaintop of blissful love. Instead, they're walking the flat roads of Kansas wondering why the other one is squeezing the toothpaste tube in the middle. Both people are getting on the phone, burning it up, calling their mama, why did you let me marry this person? They won't squeeze the thing in the, on the end instead of they squeeze it in the middle. The easy fix is to buy your own tube of toothpaste. Uh, we'll go there. I'm the guy that does it from the end and mashes it up. My wife is just any way she grabs it. That's the way it's going. The good is we brush our teeth. Um, from that point on, though, the issues get larger they get greater but if the love becomes greater and greater then all of these things become the stuff that the memories are made of we may remember that thing but that's not important we're not hung up on that anymore it's the love that we have for the people that we're in relationship it takes time to learn how to walk in love and it's obvious who wants to walk in love 
Recently, I heard that love is a constant state of apology. And for all of those of you that have been married over 30 years, you can say, Amen. And for those of you that haven't been married that long, ask some of us that are older and wiser, and we will tell you and give you examples. So, questions. Is love only an emotive force? Do we get to pick and choose who we will love? Can we turn it on and off at will? Are there benefits connected with loving others, and are there benefits connected with loving ourselves? Jesus gave this commandment to us, a new commandment I give to you, in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I guess you're getting this here. He's telling us to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. My question is, is why do we have to be commanded to love one another? Maybe it's because it doesn't always come naturally. And we have to be trained, and it's a process. It's, it's progressive. It, 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 it comes with time, and it, it builds with time. If I command my wife to do anything, generally, where is she? <laughs> I don't see her. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Let's rewind this. Um, if I command my wife to do anything, for those of you that don't know my wife, uh, out in TV land and here as well, uh, she has her way of being so gracious and virtuous with this, um, and she helps me to understand where I have messed up without saying a word, and, and I just understand and we go on, and, 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 and I, in all seriousness, she's good like that, so over the years, I hope that I've gotten to where I'm not nearly as bad and so dictatorial, you know, we're going to do it this way now, uh, I, I'm learning, it's, it's that progressive thing I was telling you about. So commandments, what, what, what are they? We're getting into the sermon. This morning I want to tell you that we have three points. For those of you that are wondering how long I'm going to go, I can go for a very long time. But this morning I have a certain time that I have to give the mic up. Your pastor knows when it is and I'm going to do that for sure. I have a three-point sermon. The third point I'm going to split in half and put something in the middle of it. That way you'll know when we're leaving this morning. So getting back to commandments. A commandment is a charge. It's if you look up Noah Webster's uh, definition of it, it's something that's highly important and it refers back to the Ten Commandments because it's so eminent, uh, if you will. Speaking of the commandments, I thought that it would be neat to use the commandments or God's moral law as a template or an overlay for what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I want you guys to understand that the commandments are law. We are no longer under law. Somebody say amen. We are not under the curse of the law. However, there is a law that transcends even that. This is just the foundation of it. Jesus is in all these different places, a new commandment that I give to you. He's come and fulfilled that law, built upon that law to a point to where if you hate someone, you've committed murder now. And you guys know this. If you look at someone to lust after them, you have committed adultery. So it goes beyond the law to a higher law that comes from God Himself. So we're going to talk about this. The first four commandments really talk about our responsibility in loving God. The last six talk about our responsibility horizontally loving others. The fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath holy, 
is more or less a hinge commandment. We've got the, the um, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall have no idols, and you shall not take my name in vain. Then the fourth one is, wow, it's a pressure trying to remember these things. Wow, keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Then you've got five through ten. You shall honor your father and your mother. You will not commit murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not bear false witness. You will not steal. And, and, and number ten is you shall not covet. Wow, I hope I said all of those. Somebody say amen, whether I did or not. But a scribe once asked, what is the foremost commandment of all? Listen to this. Mark chapter 12. Jesus is narrowing it down from 10 to 2. He says the foremost is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I heard one guy recently say it like this. Which commandment is the most important? Jesus said, commandments 1 through 4, followed closely by commandments 5 through 10. He said, love the Lord your God, commandments 1 through 4. Keep His name holy. Remember who He is and have no idols. Honor Him with the keeping of the Sabbath. And then He says to love your neighbors as, as yourself. That everything that's involved in the Ten Commandments is the holiness of God shown in this and how we love Him and how we're to love everyone that we come in contact with. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's through love that we've been singing about all morning that we love Everyone, no matter if there are enemies or not. Now fortunately enough for all of us that we, we no longer live under the shalls and the, uh, the shall nots, if you will. He's placed in us a desire to love people. Not because we must, but because He first loved us. And now because He's loved us, it's the only thing that we can do but to love those, even those very people that treat us despitefully and use us. We're going to talk about that a little later. The beauty of all of this is that love is not mandatory. My wife chooses to love me. That makes it meaningful to me. It's easy to reciprocate. It's easy for me to love my wife when she loves me, but how about that person at work that you know doesn't love you? How do we love that person? Hopefully we'll see that this morning. Point number one, loving God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, Moses said this at the second giving of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Wow, that's pretty inclusive. Everything that we are, we're to, to love God wherever we find ourselves going. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says that He loved them. He spent time with them. Adam and Eve reciprocated and loved God in return. But when sin got in the way, they hid themselves from His presence, although He called out to them by name. How many times have every single one of us in this room done something that we know is displeasing to God and we hid ourselves behind a tree thinking we were actually hiding from God. Maybe He didn't see me do that or hear me say that. And the whole time God is coming after us saying, where are you? It's time to spend time together. He knows us. And in spite of our ways, He continues to love us. And you can't take that away from me. 
I couldn't take that away from you. God loves you for where you are and for where you've been, but He expects us to go out and to love others like He loved us as well. If we experience His love, it will change us. You don't turn into Mother Teresa overnight. You don't turn into the greatest pastor preacher in all of the world, whoever that person is. You don't get there overnight. Our pastors didn't get there overnight. None of our staff, none of you got to where you are overnight. Your life's a journey. You're where you are because of your decisions and God's plan for you. Where are you going to go with it now? The fix for this situation is not to hide, but to come clean and admit it. Put it on the line and risk trusting God. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 41. This is really one of my favorite passages. If it's possible to have one in the Bible, this is one of mine. Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 50. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 days wages and the other 50 in today's day and age, I guess at $20 an hour, we're looking at one guy owing $80,000 and another guy owing $8,000. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her action was an incredible response to reality and the truth of God. That sounds very fancy, but that's the definition of faith. We respond to what we see. We respond to what we have heard. Faith is never a leap into the dark. A faith, faith is a leap into the light. It's a leap into what God's Word says and what we know it means. So when we act on that, that is the faith that God has given us to trust Him. By loving Jesus outwardly, she was given what she needed the most inwardly. She needed forgiveness. She knew where she was. She, know, she knew what she had done wrong. She knew she needed forgiveness, so she went to Jesus. When we have messed up and done the wrong thing in our life, are we willing to put it all on the line and risk it and say, God, I know that I did wrong. Forgive me. How many of you need God's forgiveness every day? I, I need it. I'm so glad that His mercies are new every morning. I, I need that. Do you need that? And in the end, knowing that she was loved by the Messiah of her people, it wasn't enough to just forgive her. He told her, your faith has saved you. Wait for it. Go in peace. How many of us could take an extra helping of peace in our lives right now. I believe that, that, that we all can. The, the answer to our heart's cry is to, to love God and to trust Him and to look to Him 
and to say, Father, I've messed up today, but I will love others like you've loved me first. Once the sin is dealt with, then you can love the way that you're supposed to, but you have to, you have to admit it to yourself and to God, this is where I am, and it's not where I want to be. I believe. And he forgives us, and then the peace is ours. It becomes the, the order of the day. How many of you want God to delight in you? Isn't that something that we all want? The, we, we stand up and say we've done all the right things, check the boxes, and we're walking in the favor of God. And yeah, academically, that's, that's very good. But when it gets down to it, is it your heart's cry to know that not only do you delight or you love Him, but you just have to know that God delights in you because the nature of love is to delight in the other person and I want to know that God's delight is in me on some days when when nothing goes like I want it to um, maybe it's high time that we remember that he saved us from our sins all we had to do was believe and that he forgave us of a debt that we could not pay he did that, not because of anything that we did, and he didn't love us because we were lovely, but he chose to love us and to give. And if we remember that, then we'll respond like we should. We love because he first loved us. He loves not because we are lovely, like I said, but because he desires to abide with us or in us. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. This is the, the passage that we just read earlier. I want to give you a, a, a few things that I take away from this passage, and then I want to get into another parable. One that, that, that I like this parable too. I guess, I guess you could say they're all my favorite passage. Because gosh, when it's that time for that passage, that's the favorite one, because that's the one that God is speaking to me about. And hopefully it's that way with you as well. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14, love finds its origin in God. It started with Him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is the fruit of a real relationship with Him. We cannot be unloving and in a relationship with God. Jesus said that. Bill didn't say that. You cannot be in a relationship with God and be that person that's completely unloving all of the time. That just cannot happen. I've heard a, a speaker say it this way on a particularly hard passage, maybe to try to soften it. Is he said, I just deliver the mail. I didn't write it. So let's put this where it belongs. He is saying you cannot be unlovely all the time and still say you're a believer in Messiah. So there's a part of us that has to get it right with Him because God is love and He determines what it is. In Galatians 5.22, it's interesting to me that the first fruit of the Spirit that is listed is love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So this is not a matter of law. It's a matter of love. And if He has loved us, then we should go out and love others love is revealed by God love gives in verse 9 he gave his only begotten son and God didn't just give his son Jesus for us just to be given him he gave it for a purpose so that we might live through him 
Certainly to live in this life. To walk according to His will and to accomplish the things that He would have for us to accomplish. But this word live doesn't mean any of that. It means that so that you might live, so that you can experience the love of God, become saved, become a believer in Christ, and one day go to be in heaven with Him. But if you don't love God, and if you don't accept Him for who He is, the best moral life will not get you any closer to God. It has to be done His way. And when you think about it on the inside, the thing that we want the most is love. Love from our spouses. Love from our kids. I just want to be with you. Love from our God who would give everything that He has, all that He has, and establish our worth by giving His Son for us. That's what love is. He's the one that created that, if you will. Love is actionable in verse 9. It says that we have sufficient cause to believe. He has told us and shown us everything that we need to see and hear to understand that Jesus is the Christ and that God loves us enough to give Him for us. But now here's you a good one. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love is a moral obligation, Rick Renner says. It's a moral obligation. I am morally obligated to love everyone that I meet. I'm going to let that sink in. You want, you want me to say that again? We are obligated to love everyone that we meet. There are three people in this room that work with me in my shop at Smith, and they'll tell you there's been days where I did not love them. It was put them up and let's dance. The reality of it is, I did it. This has been a journey for me. I said it, I've known it, and academically I could speak to it. But this year, God started speaking to me in the beginning of the year. I read the New Testament, I was telling Bob, for the purpose of seeing every time that the word love is used without looking it up and cheating and using a concordance in, in commentaries so I can get in here and sound like I know what's going on. I wanted, What does the Bible say? So you read it. The New Testament's not a big book. Just read the thing. It's not that big. But you see where many times in our life we have those days where we don't show ourselves as God would have us to be. And we don't represent him well. However, in verse 12, let's look at this. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Perfected is that word He threw in there for me because He knew I would beat myself up for having that moment when I said something that I should not have said. It means to become fully developed. It, it refers to a child that's graduating from one class up to the next class, up to the next class. And have you ever noticed how much your kids change from K-5 to, to grade 12? And they know everything then. That's why they leave home. They know it all. I mean, you have your best opportunity to do well, you know, when you leave in, you know, after 12th grade. Um, but it's like that for us, of, uh, those of us who are adults who now know that we really don't have it all going along, uh, and our kids will figure that out in time. Um, we, it's called progressive sanctification. That's what it's called. Where we're constantly becoming like Him 
And He's molding us. He's maturing us. He's perfecting us. He's making us into the likeness and image of the dear Son that He, that he loves so much. He's made us join heirs with Him. So we're becoming like Him in all things. We're learning to, to love. Now, John 15, verses 1 through 11, we talk about abiding in Him or abiding in the vine. Uh, and you guys can read this one when you get home. Uh, just read all of John 15. It's all good. It won't hurt you, that's for sure. Um, John chapter 15, abiding in Him or abiding in the vine. Jesus gives this, this analogy of a vine growing along the ground and, and on trellises and all these different things. There's a vine, and when... A branch comes off of the vine, if you will. The branch is where the fruit is. However, the branch can't exist on its own. And a branch can't produce fruit unless the branch is hooked to the vine. The vine can, can exist on its own without the branch, but the two have to be together for the branch to, to produce fruit. The substance of the vine becomes really the substance of the branch. So all of the things that we see in God, God first loved us. It's in his nature to, to love because well, God is love. But for us to be able to love, we have to be connected with him. We have to become believers and Christians. We have to, to love him. So if God is love and now we become love, we see that that love is actually the fruit of, of the branch. Let's say you have grapes and, and you have a vine that goes out and little branches come out and the grapes grow on the end. Did the branch make the grapes grow? Or did the vine make the, the grapes grow? Really, the, the grapes have nothing to do with the branch other than they're just connected there. The grapes came from the essence of the vine. So when God loves others through us, it's not our love in the first place. It's really His love through us to them. It's, it's a fruit of him but the fruit of the spirit is love wow you guys are listening so well this morning the branch can exist on its own because everything that the branch is is because of the vine which is jesus abiding in christ produces fruit it's a surefire way of telling if a person is walking in god walking in christ a spirit a spiritual health indicator if you will is if you see a person who's not walking in love and refuses to walk in love and has nothing to do with any of that and all they're doing is hating all the time, you have every right to yourself to say, that person's not walking right. Maybe we need to say something to them. Well, if they're a believer in Christ, you know, be careful who you say that to. Somebody might help you understand why you're wrong and need to leave them alone, for sure. However, it's obvious if someone is loving others. We must learn to abide in Him. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I have loved you. Jesus says, abide in my love. Abide in that. I'm the branch. I have the love. All you have to do is be connected to me. And the love comes easy. You don't even have to try. You just have to make the decision to do it. He makes it so easy that it doesn't even take any strength on our own to love others other than the will to say, I should do it and I want to do it, I'm going to do it, and God will equip us to love them as He loved us. By faith, exactly. Faith and love are always connected. You see that all through the New Testament. 
Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, listen to this, Jesus chose to, verse 10 in John chapter 15, He chose to abide in His Father's love. So is Jesus asking us to do anything that He didn't do before us? These things I have spoken to you so that your joy may be made full. How does it make you feel when somebody looks you in the eye and tells you that they love you and you know they mean it with every fiber of their being? That little one that looks up and looks to you. That spouse that you know would die for you. Or that spouse that you know would live for you. That little one that says, I'm not really hungry, I just want to be with you. That's really what the, the, the love is about, the joy. He wants us to, to be happy and to enjoy life. And His joy, which has nothing to do with any of that, is that knowing that no matter what happens, we can walk in the joy that comes from Him because we're connected to the vine. And that joy is ours to have when we feel like life has hurt us. And when things have happened in our life that just don't feel well. The true litmus test of abiding in God, if you're living in Him, is, is that person loving? Um, now for my third point, loving others. Wow, now let's get into the, 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 the tough one here. You guys ready for this? We're waking up. We've been really serious for a little while. Uh, now we're going to talk about loving our enemies. Loving our enemies is not a new concept. I used to say it for years. Jesus introduced this radical new concept to the Jews in, in, in His time that we should love our enemies and there's nothing older than the idea itself. Hardly. It says in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 4, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him if your enemy's not there. However, if you see that donkey of one who hates you, that's an enemy or a foe. Now, it's in Exodus 23, verse 4. Take it home. Write it on your mirror in the bathroom. I will love those that don't like me, that look disapprovingly on me, and that treat me, you know, despitefully and things. It says, when you, when you see that donkey lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. What is he saying? If your enemy is walking along with a donkey and it's loaded up and it falls down and it's trapped and it can't get up, it's your responsibility, believer in Christ, to help the donkey get up with your enemy and to help him get on his way and to get to his house if that's what needs to happen. We have a moral obligation to love even those people that we know don't love us and don't care for us. That's what God's Word is saying. The Gospel of the Kingdom, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Wow, you mean I've got to lend money. It's not just money, it's doing for people, not expecting. We're not expecting it back anyway. You never give anything out and expect it back. That's not who we are. And it says your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Do you know that every one of us, before the world was, was made, we were the enemies of God before we really had done anything good or bad. It says in the right time, He sent Jesus. When the fullness of time came, He sent Jesus so that we could be reconciled back to God. 
Because without what Jesus did for us on the cross, and without accepting Him, we cannot stand before God and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. In other words, for those of you that may not know where I'm going with that, you're not going to heaven. Because you can't go without experiencing and accepting the love that God has for us by giving His Son for us. So, an indicator of that, let's say you're, you're new in the faith and you don't really know, is to learn to love your enemies, to, to love those who despitefully use you. You have heard it said in Matthew chapter 5, the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. He does it again in Luke chapter 6, Sermon on the Plain. That's the difference between the two. One's on a mountain, one's on a plain. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Listen to this, guys. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Come on, guys. We're children of the King. The people who are not the children of the King have their ways of doing things, and even they treat people better than you are. He's saying you're to love them and to do for them. Why is that? Because when you were my enemy, God is saying, let me tell you what I did. He said, I caused the sun to shine and the rain to fall because I love every one of you. All. Oh, that's probably close to rap as I get. <laughs> Where did that come from? That was so bad. <laughs> May I get on this side? He causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Let me put it a different way. God is good to everyone. Christians and non-Christians. And even people who are not Christians, you'll listen to them because you know it when you hear it. They'll say, God did this. That's because even people who are not believers in Christ, people that are not Christians, recognize that God does good things for us. He gives us life and love. He gives us family. He causes the rain to fall. He causes the seasons to change. He, he, he gives us jobs. He gives us the things that we need. The cars. Even the education. That when you want it and you can't pay for it and God brings away. He, he gives us relationships. And that's the big thing with God. His blessing is for everyone. The question for all of us is where are we going to spend eternity today? When we leave here and we die, where are we going to go? God is making Himself known to all of us by the love that He has for us because even God loves His enemies, but because God loves His enemies, He expects us to love our enemies because our enemies can't compare to His. We were once His enemies. Now, get this guys, now, in John chapter 15 and verse 14, now we are His friends if we do His commandments. Are His commandments burdensome? No. No, He even equips us to do what He asks us to do. How does it get any easier than that? The easiest thing for us to do is to ignore our enemies. I was really confessing my faults to a brother this week. He's a minister, uh, Tyrone Webster. He got to talk and got all happy and got to doing that charismatic preacher thing. And he's, he's a Baptist too. Um, 
And man, he got to carrying on in, in, in Smith and Gateway. I mean, he was just cutting loose. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Uh, he was doing it. And, and then I got it where I was like, well, let's, let's, let's talk about it. This is good. And we got to talking about the love of God. And I said, you know, let me tell you where I failed. And I failed so miserably is recognizing those people who are my enemies and letting them go and just getting away from them because it's easier to love those who love me than to love these people that I know don't. That is where I failed. And that is probably one of the most, most more serious moments I've had in a very long time was recognizing the fault that I have and not loving people when God chose to love them and send His Son to cause the sun to shine and the rain to fall and how dare I not consider them worthy of the same thing that He gave me when I was His enemy. It's a natural expression of who we are to, to love others. I'm sure that you've noticed that love is directed away from a person towards another person. But what happens if we turn that love inside? So, I've got a challenge for you. And then we're going to talk about loving people in the church. And then we're going we're to go on to the next part of this service. So we're almost there. I do that for, th for those of you that are visiting this morning. When we get up here, we, we, we normally speak about the Word for a while because the Word's important to us. So typically... Everybody that speaks here is going to go for about an hour, and we know that. We're conditioned for it, but you may not be. So uh, I want to, to respect you visiting this morning and let you know we're almost there. So you guys, hang on. <laughs> well, we'll be there shortly. Um, the challenge, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read those for you if you would like to write those down. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, did you guys hear that? Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. They're describing people in the end times. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We've got lovers of self, lovers of money, unloving, lovers of pleasure, and, and not loving God. Verse 5 is the tough one. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, it says to avoid these people. Unloving means without natural affection. So it says that the, the key thing in the end times that will describe people in the end when things are at its worst out of all of the things that are mentioned here, it's got five different things and every one of those have to do with the opposite of love because God is love. So he says, the people will be unloving. Their focus will, will get on other things. Oh, they may come to church and they may do really nice things, really cool things out in the, in the community, helping out and doing all of these things. But he's saying that really when it gets down to it, rather than loving God and loving others and doing what His Word says and enjoying the joy that comes from living for God in, in all things, in every area of our life, he's saying these people choose to love themselves. These people choose to love money and to seek pleasure. There's nothing wrong with any of these things by themselves. But when that's your focus and that's all that matters, it says that they choose these things instead of choosing God. 
I've talked to people that go to church that don't even believe in God. Not here. He said, I don't believe in God. I go to church. That's because we're, that's where good people go. And I went, oh my, I didn't even know how to answer the guy. It's been a long time. So they do all the right things like that, but the problem is the heart issue, they don't love. So we're not making this hard, guys. When, we, when you guys leave and go home today, you're going to say, hey, that guy talked about love this morning, didn't he? That, that's, that's what we're talking about. In the end times, it's the opposite of that. I would rather do this than to obey God here. I would rather do this instead of obeying this commandment that is a higher form of the love and the holiness of God that says, if you will love here, I will give you peace. I will give you joy. I will forgive you of the things that you know keep you up at night and bother your mind. I will take that on myself if you will choose to love me in faith. But we say, no, that's not enough, God. I would rather do it my way. Where lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. It's, it's warped. It's a perverted version of what love is. Instead of loving people, we love things. And I guess the one exception to that is, instead of that, is loving ourselves instead of loving God and other people. How often is love connected to consuming and not with giving God gave His only Son His best. He expects us to do the same. We consume everything. It's no longer about the giving to people, the loving people. It's consuming. It's the things that it makes me feel good. So our last point. Loving others. And we'll close it down. John 3.16. Let's see if we can get this one up on the screen. I want to read this verse together. As, as a body of believers. And, and stand together and just read this verse. But actually see this verse. Well, let's say it together. <laughs> Ready? Repeat after me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If He loved me first, then I should love other people. It says ought that word is to owe. It means we're indebted. We owe it to God not only to love Him, but to love other people as well. And we know what love is. Jesus' example. He laid down His life, 1 John 3.16, for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 18, 1 John 3. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue. Let's not just say it. Let's do it but in deed and in truth. As one fellow said here recently, I heard him say, and it's a song, and it's probably foul, and, and I don't know, but it said, and now everybody's pulling out their phone fixing to Google what he says. <laughs> but it, it, and it says something. I didn't listen to it. I don't know. But it says, don't tell me that you love me, just tell me that you'll be there. 
So please don't tell me who sang it. I don't want to know. That's really how we are. Don't tell me that you love me. Just tell me that you'll be there. Because if you're there, I'll know. I'll know. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Well, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, it's a person who has a deep affection and a sense of commitment for his family. That's what we do in this body of believers. We love each other. We, we do. We help. Uh, not just for the doing and the helping, but it's the being. We're being the love of God when we have a need. When a, when a part of your body hurts, you're acutely aware of a toothache. But when the tooth hurts in the body of Christ, we, we, we tend to that, that tooth. We tend to, to help them with the problem that they were having. I guess one example... I've got I've to wind this down. I was 21 and homeless. I had nowhere to live. And really no hope of having a place to live. Living in a state where I knew no one. Um, but the people who were in my church. And for my last six, seven, eight months that I lived in New York. The church took me in. And passed me from house to house so I would have a place to live because I was on my own and by myself. And when you're that young, when you're 21, you think that my parents are older than me. They, they have money. This is you know, not a thing. I'll just stay with them. And, you know, and it's, it's just not a, not a thing because I grew up in a family that while we might not have had a whole lot like that, I've never heard my mom or dad say we don't have enough money. That generation just didn't say that. There's just some things you don't say in front of your kids. So when they passed me from house to house, I was just thinking that was because they just had enough of me, you know. So they would just kind of pass me around for all these months. So I always had a place to live. And then later as I grew up in life, <laughs> from 21, you've got it figured out then, right? I found out that really most every one of them hardly had enough to take care of themselves and their families, let alone a 21-year-old that could you know, eat a steak, you know, this big at one sitting. But yet, for all those months, the church came together and took care of me. And they loved me. They were devoted to the person that was in the body that had a bad circumstance going on. And at that time right there, and we can't take everybody in, I get all of that. But at that time, they said, yeah, we can do that. And they came to me, and they passed me around, and they took care of me till the day I left that state. That's a love that, that I want to get to a place to where not only do I feel it, because we always want to feel that, but I want to, to be able to give that love. To be that person that's there when you're hurting. To be there for that person that has that moment when they're needful, whatever that need is. Maybe they need a word. Maybe they need money. Maybe they need somebody just to, to use as a sounding board, and I just need to listen to... Like I heard Pastor Peter say one time, just to be there and to cry with them, to weep with them, just to hug them around the shoulders and just be there and not say a single word at all. For me, that's, that's the love of the Father, is being there for, for others. So what's the point? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, 1 Timothy chapter 1. The goal of all of this when it comes to love is a pure heart. That's a heart that's purified by faith. It's a good conscience cleared of guilt by faith. The book of 1 John, 
For those of you that have ever had this going on in your mind, let me tell you to read the book of 1 John. It's about a topic. Love and assurance. Do you want to know that you know that you're safe? Do you want to know that you know that God loves you? You read that book right there. And if you don't get it, you read that book again. And you keep reading that book. And you read that book a hundred times, and if you don't get it, you come and see me then. And we'll talk about it. You go and see that man right over there playing on his phone while I'm preaching. And he will, he will, I did that. See, now I have everybody's attention, right? He's reading the Bible, guys. What's wrong? But I say that because I've heard him say that before. You come to him with that. And I know Pastor Peter will be there with you. I know that any of our pastors, there's so many people in this church that do this all the time. And if you do that, they'll be there for you. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And it's been shed abroad the rest of the earth because God loves others through us. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And we, we are who we are because of Him. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he's done inside of us. He makes it possible to love. So do you feel like it's impossible to love others? It's not. Let's seek him. Let's trust him. And he'll give us a joy that's it's inexpressible, if you will. Full of glory. And others will see him through us. And that's really what we want. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. Father, we want to be like you and always. We want to love others like Jesus loved us first. This morning, I stand to declare that my family is blessed in their living and, and all that they do. And as they seek you in faith, God, I know that you will reveal not what to do, but how to do. And that we will learn to be an expression of your love to everyone that we meet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.